Look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More than money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmel, my co-host here, Dave Popwich. How you doing, man? I'm terrific. How was your uh, week? Very interesting and volatile week in the market. Yeah. So it was pretty much volatile for me as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny when you're uh, you know, when you're doing it. And you're doing reporting on the various media sources. It's uh, you know you live and die every day by that up and down volatility throughout the course of the day. We did we did see an interesting spike, and that's going to be a very interesting point to talk about today. Given the fact that we've got a terrific guest on today's show, Andrew McCreeth. Now, Andrew's a regular contributor to BNN. Um, he's a guy that we've done a lot of work with. He's a chief executive officer and chief investment officer of Forge First. And what's unique about the conversation I want to encourage people to stick around is because when this volatility spikes up, people get nervous, yeah. right? Um, and there are ways that you can mitigate risks. You know, we often talk about, and you love to make the comment that losing less is making more. You've got to protect your downside if you're going to survive in the long fight, yep. right? Um, and we're going to talk a lot, of, uh, a lot about that uh, on the next couple of segments and give some perspective of where the risks are and how to protect. But having said that, there were some things that the market was concerned about this week. And, you know, we did see, um, we did see a big tumble. Yeah, we did see a, a, bit, a bit of a tumble early in the week. We started to see it claw back a bit, mm-hmm. and then it's going back and forth. In the background, one piece that was very interesting to me is China's coming back into the story. Mm-hmm. Um, we've heard in the past, and we've seen them, they made some issues with some tech companies, some tutorial or education industry, um, and other types of assets. Uh, they're trying to get their hands and try to control uh, the impact. They've been in, in the in yep. the news with uh, Evergrande and, and their issues. So there's, there's a whole bunch of things surrounding the Chinese government. And what the market is trying to figure out is, what's the game plan for China? Right. And, and the, what, what China, from my research, is showing is that they do not want it to be a big difference between the big companies and the not-so-big companies. They want it to be profit for everyone. Right. right? So they're trying to control this in some way to avoid too much power to too few companies. They wanted to kind of spread that out. And that's not unlike what we're seeing in our markets. I mean, think about, it started sort of with the tech pressure in, uh, in China, right? Some regulatory pressure uh, on some of the big tech companies. And that's not unlike what we see uh, in the rest of the world, um, who controls the data, right? Who has access to that. Yeah competitive issues that that creates, right? Concentration of wealth. So it it is interesting to see it play out. There's some unique aspects, obviously, to China and emerging markets relative to developed markets. But there's a lot of similarities here. The Evergrande situation, of course, was a debt contagion issue, right? So big land developer uh, or developer there uh, concerned about too much debt and China trying to control, um, you know, the amount of debt that's being taken on and sustainability of that. What I found interesting about this whole too much debt issue is it's been a while since the market has looked at and said, hang on, how much debt do these companies have? Right. What's on their balance sheet? Are they actually profitable? Yep. Are they able to grow? You know the fundamentals that we normally right. invest in? Right. Kind of been pushed to the side for the past little while with all this liquidity out there. It was like money was throwing it, been thrown everywhere. And in that situation, you still have a lot of companies with a lot of debt 
I call them zombies. Mm -hmm. I've said this before. Yep. They're just like the Walking Dead. Yep. And we're just—they've been—they're only alive because the market hasn't realized that these things can't continue on forever. Right. And so, do I think this is the only story? No, I think there's many companies going to experience that. Um, I think as stimulus starts to get reduced or eliminated, they're going to pop up even more. Yeah. And that causes fear, uncertainty, volatility, which where the idea is to then, in our portfolio at least, is to look at fundamentals. Right. And look at good quality companies, a good balance sheet, able to uh, generate enough cash so they can continually grow and pay the dividends if we're investing in a dividend investment. Absolutely. And then the trick with these things, whether it's you know the Chinese company Evergrande or others, because there's plenty of examples uh, all over the world. All of them are. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Is, is both governments and central banks have a very delicate uh, balancing act. And this is what investors are every day trying to figure out where we are on that balancing act is if there are the zombie companies, and there certainly are, it, how, do we, how do we expose them and we let sort of Darwinism take its course on those companies, yeah. but in a, in, a, in a fashion that it doesn't create a contagion that spreads across the entire economy, right? So it speaks to, from an investment perspective, the kind of the path that we have to watch, the actions that these various uh, geographic governments and regions are taking, right? But there's going to be, and it's not like this is unique in history. There's, this, this stuff goes on all the time. All the time. All the yep. time, right? Yep. But it, uh, it is interesting to see, as you said, we start this week with this big risk sell-off, right? And we can expect, I think, more of those kinds of things, right? We get, we get very intense moves, higher, lower in these markets. And um, it speaks to the structure and discipline that we're always talking about understand the long-term thesis that you have. But as you've said in the last couple of sessions, Faisal, and I want to reiterate this, is that you can't just have one base case scenario. Yeah. You have to consider what's on the fringes of that, right? right? If you're wrong, you can be wrong two ways. You can be wrong, and it's better than you expect, or it can be worse than you expect. And in the event that these, these things happen, what are you going to do? What's the playbook? Yeah, and so, you know, have your, your strategy in place, but be humble enough to know that these outlying positions, yeah. that these black swan events, you know, we used to use that terminology a long time ago, going back through university or when we started off in our careers, black swan events hardly ever happened. Um, since our practice has merged over the past 12 years, five different black swan events have come up. Yeah. Haven't been all that uncommon. When, when does the outlier no, no longer become the outlier? <laughs> right. right? And it's a so great question. Planning for those issues, not the specifics, but the understanding of what could go wrong, having that in your, in your uh, arsenal to defend yourself, yeah. I think that's what is important. I think too many people are invested on one strategy and only one way. And the question that needs to be asked by every investor to their advisor or if they're building their own portfolios, what if it doesn't go according to plan? Mm -hmm. What's the worst scenario on the downside, and can I tolerate that? Yeah, and yeah. that's that's the risk. That's the yeah. risk that you have to be taking care of. Yeah, so I think no. that's an, that's an important piece. We've got a great show today, uh, talking about not only where we've been for the past, call it you know nine months, uh, where the risks are, where the opportunities are, what are the flags that we need to put out there so people can be aware of. And we, of course, we've got a great guest. And this is all leading part of to how to manage and profit and protect in every market condition. And we're going to do that at our upcoming seminar live online, 
Tuesday, October 19th, 7 p.m. Now you need to register for this. So go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. Until we, uh, before we break to the next section, um, uh, I want to give some context to this because, you know, we talk a little bit about um, fundamentally uh, most investors think of two asset classes, don't they? They think of stocks and they think of cash. Yeah. And it's the money movement between stocks and cash only, and it often relies on a timing, timing bet, right? Getting your timing right. We're not big proponents of that. And certainly there's a heck of a lot more asset classes than just uh, stocks and cash. Yeah. But one of the areas that um, I, think, well, I think I can speak for you is we don't think retail investors, normal, everyday Canadian investors understand well, are some of the more sophisticated strategies. And from a regulatory perspective, we've seen some changes in our industry yeah. um, over the past one or two years that, that have introduced um, more sophisticated trading strategies that allow people to, to profit and protect differently yeah. than the traditional asset classes. These are the large institutional pension plans. They've been doing this right. for decades. Yeah. And that hasn't been available to the average investor. We've been fortunate enough to work with some, some smart people to bring that to our clients. We've got Andrew McCreeth, CEO of Forge First. Welcome in the flesh. How are you doing? I'm very well. F- pleasure to be here, Faisal. Well, welcome to Calgary. Usually you're in Toronto when we do this. That's so, right. So welcome to Calgary. This is great. Thank you. Let's get, start off with um, kind of giving us an overview of the alternative space, specifically when it comes to what you guys do with us in the portfolio, uh, when it comes to long, short, and why we do it that way. Well, there's little question that we have been in a 40-year bull market. You go back to 1980, interest rates were 20%. The highest marginal tax rates in the States were pushing 80%. And of course, the baby boomers were just about to start to buy. Now, 40 years later, interest rates might as well be zero. The baby boomers have aged, and the new demographics have different spending patterns than the boomers. And tax rates are as low as they're going to get, and they're probably going to go higher. So there are inflection points uh, at times in market cycles where you have to pivot, just like Mr. Powell has begun to pivot at the Fed. So, Andrew, you're, um, you're not just the CEO of the organization. You're also the chief investment officer. Yes. So you get your hands dirty on this stuff. Absolutely. And I think that's really important. Um, the cook's got to be in the kitchen, Dave. That's right. No, exactly right. And so we, and so we appreciate this, the fact that you're in there slinging mud with the rest of us. And, and, um, but I'd like to get your opinion on, if we go back to the beginning of this year, 2021, we were sort of coming out of the worst of the pandemic. We, you know, we had vaccinations coming out. I'd like to get your opinion on sort of where you were thinking the markets or how they were setting up in the first half of this year. And then where, where did it surprise you? We were bulls at the beginning of the year for, for three reasons. First off, the Federal Reserve Bank of the United States, uh, the organization that's responsible for monetary policy, uh, was in do whatever it takes mode. And so they were going to continue to print money. Uh, Washington, under President Trump, was clearly going to continue to provide a lot of fiscal stimulus. So we were very constructive for that reason. But at the same point in time, we did not see interest rates moving up that much. And so Tina, there was no alternative was going to continue. And then last but not least, uh, you know, we were all hopeful that the economy was going to continue to reopen. And as the economy reopened and traders got back to their desks, they were likely to be more willing to provide market liquidity. 
And as market liquidity improves because people are comfortable at trading once again, volatility starts to come down. And when volatility starts to come down, all the systematic capital, shall we call it, uh, Ray Dalio from Bridgewater, for example, managing you know, 150 billion big dollars, not loony dollars, uh, start to reallocate more capital to equities because they're targeting a volatility as opposed to a return. So when volatility comes down because market liquidity improves, to be able to uh, target the volatility that they want to for the funds that they manage, they have to allocate more capital to equity. So we were bulls out of the gate this year. Right. Okay. Were there any surprises in the first half of the year? The surprises, I guess, were twofold, and they're not novel ones. First and foremost, you know, COVID did not go away, and so there were fits and starts. I would say the biggest surprise, though, has been the breadth and depth of the gating factors in the economy. The most obvious one being, you know, I can't get a semiconductor or I can't get shipping capacity. And of course, we all know that shipping rates have gone up 400 to 500%, uh, you know, China to North America. So I'd say gating factors was number one and then, you know, COVID on and off number two. Okay, fair enough. So let's talk a little bit about um uh, liquid alternatives for a minute. So we've talked about the alternative space, Faisal. I'm not sure that people truly understand what a, what, a, um, what a more sophisticated strategy is than just, say, trading stocks for cash or just holding stocks in the anticipation that they can go higher. So maybe we can just pause for a minute, Andrew. I'd love for you to, to help our um, listeners and viewers understand that there are lots of different ways that you can both profit and protect in markets whether they're moving higher or lower. And so with that set up, let me just turn it over to you and maybe give us a, a, an understanding of what alternatives are and what they allow you as a portfolio manager to do. Okay, if you'll allow me to step back for a moment and actually define what alternatives yeah. are. Uh, because really, when you look at alternatives, there's venture capital, there's private equity, uh, there's credit, and there's equity. Now, of course, Forge First is involved in the equity business. And when one looks at alternatives in the public equity space, the stock market, um, those, are, those are the types of vehicles that have liquidity in their books. Like a private equity fund is not liquid. And therefore, an investor could go invest in a private equity company, but they would have to be an accredited investor because the fund would only be able to be sold through what's called an offering memorandum, uh, which would imply that it's going to be high risk and there's just a ridiculous number of forms to sign. Um, and liquidity uh, is monthly, if not quarterly or annually, uh, for the investor. Um, but the regulator, uh, the regulators across the country, the securities regulator, in late 2018 allowed funds like the funds that Forge First manages uh, to convert into what are called liquid alternatives or alternative mutual funds. And the reason we were able to do that is because our book is liquid. We own Microsoft, we own Google, we own Tourmaline, we own Canadian Natural Resources. Those are four names in our top 10. So we have a highly liquid book. And so consequently, if an investor wants to sell the fund tomorrow, there's no problem because we, if we needed to, we could sell stocks. Um, and at this point in the cycle, the utility of these liquid alternatives um, are rising because I think that the world is gonna change and we'll probably touch on that in a, a little bit later. Yeah. But the simple, the bottom line of all this is liquid alternatives allow you to 
uh, add a little protection to your portfolio versus owning just stocks or a mutual fund, which is always 100% long the market. And consequently, if markets go down, they're probably going to go down too. So, so Andrew, you, you have a specific style when you are, are looking at the equity market. We talk about long and short, but there is a process that you go through to, to put stocks in your portfolio and the ones that you don't like or you want to go short on. Um, what's in a really quick nutshell, we have this just under a minute or so to go. Um, what's the process that you, you put these, this filtering or this ability to bring in stocks into your company? Well, we're fundamental investors as opposed to quantitative or technical. So we're fundamental investors. We are buy and hold long-term investors focused on free cash flow, uh, buying and shorting stocks in North America. Uh, we don't buy any private companies. We limit our small cap exposure to no more than 10% of the book. And a small cap is a company with a market capitalization of less than a billion dollars. Uh, it's all about sticking to a discipline and trying to generate a competitive risk-adjusted net return and protect capital when markets get rougher. So as a result of how we manage client capital, which always includes a diversified short book and the use of listed put options to further hedge market risk, each of our two funds uh, during the first nine, plus, nine years plus one month of investing on behalf of clients uh, has what's called negative downside capture, which means it's not a forecast, it's history. Um, when markets have gone down, we've had a tendency to make a little bit of money. Uh, it's the tortoise that beats the hare. And so that's what we're focused on. We're not fast money. We don't trade a lot. We are buy and hold investors of free cash flowing companies in North America. You expressed off air when we were talking that there's per we could be at a, a, a pivot point here. There's some change. I'd love for you to maybe pick up the conversation and tell us a little bit about what you're seeing right now, and what you're thinking about, and what you're worried about. Absolutely, Dave. Uh, pleasure to answer that question. I write a monthly commentary, which listeners can find on my website, forgefirst.com. And when I published my commentary speaking to the results of our funds for the month of August in early September, uh, I made the statement in that commentary that my investment team uh, was of the view that the S&P 500 had, a, had reached full value. Uh, and as a result, looking ahead the next 12 months, that the risk reward in the market was becoming less favorable. Uh, and consequently, we have started to reduce what I refer to as our net long exposure in each of our two funds. Why is that? Well, there's little question that we have reached the peak, the turning point uh, in monetary policy accommodation. Um, it's the, the turn is gonna be very slow. Right because inflation isn't gonna be problematic. And yeah, I know you're groaning at that comment about inflation is not gonna be problematic, but you know, monopolists, duopolists, and oligopolists will continue to have the ability to raise prices on you. But when you look at the competitive uh, marketplace, I believe the internetization of the economy uh, is gonna preclude a lot of companies from being able to raise prices enough so as to absorb all of the price hikes they're seeing. Uh, earlier in the week, look at the news out of FedEx, mm -hmm. right? They got a cost problem, they can't raise prices. And so consequently, uh, I believe that uh, that's gonna be, become problematic for the market. Point number two, fiscal policy accommodation. Uh, when you look at the United States, the deficit as a percent of uh, potential GDP was about 11 and a half, 12% in the year that's about to end. Uh, 
the next 12 months, it's expected to drop down to about 5%. So, you know, call it 12, call it 5, a 7% as a percent of GDP reduction in fiscal stimulus. That is not helpful for growth. Now, it's true consumer balance sheets are very good in the States, and even for the lower socioeconomic groups, they're not bad. Uh, the savings rate is still 8 and 9, but it's not 30. And so the consumer balance sheets and their ability to continue to spend will offset a portion of that fiscal contraction. Uh, but the takeaway is you've got monetary policy beginning to go the other way, slowly. Right. Uh, uh, growth is going to slow substantially. And then a crude tracker of uh, predicting future profit margins is CPI, ex-food and energy, minus PPI, ex-food and energy. And that's deeply negative, meaning that producer price uh, increases are running much higher than consumer price increases. And so consequently, not only do you have slowing uh, uh, economic growth, uh, you have less accommodative monetary policy, in other words, printing less money, uh, but earnings growth is going to become more challenging. And so whereas in 18 and 19, a rising tide lifted all boats, yep. we believe that the change is coming in 22. And so there's going to be greater what's called price dispersion. In other words, not all stocks move together. Uh, the company that's able to make their earnings will go up, but there's going to be companies like FedEx that miss their earnings. And so consequently, we have reduced our net exposure uh, by adding more short positions, buying more hedges in the book. And at the same point in time, because the pivot in monetary policy will be slow, again, you got to be pragmatic with client capital, right. not dogmatic. And so we continue to own uh, the securities that we're very constructive on, Dave. Yeah, that makes sense. The it, we, we go through, like, this is the current pivot phase where we talk about this all the yes. time. And um, you say pragmatic versus dogmatic. We call it dynamic, right? You have to be open to moving money to different places, different asset classes through time in order to both profit and protect. There, yeah. There's one more pivot that merits consideration. Yeah. And this may be out the window next week, but growth versus value. Right. So... Earlier this week, uh, interest rates went up a lot. Well, yeah. a lot. You yeah. know, 10-year bond yields went up 10 basis points in a day, um, which is a lot. Uh, the reason they went up is kind of interesting because they, in my opinion, they went up because European interest rates went up. Right. And so they forced U.S. interest rates up. Um, and over the last week, we have seen cyclical and value stocks outperform materially, notwithstanding the continued concerns about growth in China and the challenges that the United, ha the United States has with respect to their debt ceiling and, of course, whether any more fiscal stimulus is forthcoming. Um, but investors need to understand that we could be at the point where value cyclical stocks are going to have legs here and they're going to outperform growth. And if interest rates go that much higher, you could see some of these growthy tech stocks start to tumble. So. In talking to each of my two portfolio managers at Forge First the other day, I said, make sure that, you know, the puts that we own on, on, a, on a Microsoft, on an Amazon, on a Visa are, are, have strike prices quite high, you know, high enough to where the quote of the stock is so that they actually do protect us. So you're seeing that growth is, is kind of coming out of favor, value is coming back into favor? That's potentially is in the midst of happening. Potentially, but you know, three, four days doesn't make a trend. Yeah. But with interest rates rising, 
you know, a little bit. Yeah. It could continue yeah. given what's going on with oil and gas prices. And, and when you look at where we are in the economic environment, and you're starting to see that there's risk of full value in the, in the markets, and you're starting to protect yourself, when you look at an average individual that's listening or watching this today, they are, they're diversified amongst multiple asset classes, stocks, bonds, cash. You have the luxury of going short. Most Canadians don't do that. Um, where do you think individuals should be looking at if, if the equity market has a potential to, to pull back? Should they be going in a fixed income right now? Should they just sit in cash if they can't do the short game and not buy your fund, let's assume that too, because they can always buy your fund. Yep. Yeah. Well, let's face it, there's times in a market cycle where you can make money. Yeah. And we've had a lot of that lately. And there are times in the market cycle where you have to focus more on capital preservation. Uh, and I think we're moving into a period of time when you have to focus much more on capital preservation. Um, and as a result, you have to expect the fact that you're probably going to have lower returns over the next two, three years than you may have enjoyed over the last few years. Yeah. Fact of life. Yeah. And it's better to accept that fact uh, as opposed to just stay long the market yeah. and then you're down 20% at some point in time over the next two, three years. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's point number one. Uh, with respect to fixed income, uh, no, it's pretty difficult to be constructive on owning a government bond at this point in time. And if in fact over the next, like I'm not a big bear, let's be clear here, right? Because monetary, poli pol monetary policy, uh, policy accommodation is gonna remain uh, pretty good for now. I mean, when you look at the reverse repo agreements that the Fed is engaging in every day of the week, 1.35 trillion US dollars, which means the banks are just swimming in liquidity. Yeah. They're trying to find a home. Uh, and that means the stock market's probably not gonna go down a whole bunch, unless for example, after the Beijing Olympics, China moves on Taiwan, that could be problematic for markets. But fixed income is not the answer. There's nothing wrong with owning some cash, right? Yeah. Because inflation, I don't think, is going to be rampant. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a big bull on gold. Uh, I am constructive on energy stocks here, uh, still constructive. But when, an, when a, an investor looks at an energy stock and you look at the price of a stock, you have the cash flow per share times the multiple, the price to cash flow multiple, and you multiply those two together and you get the stock price. I think investors have to accept the fact that energy stocks are not gonna trade at the multiples that they used to. Uh, and so, you know, be conservative in your target prices. But, you know, I've been fortunate enough over the last couple of weeks to have in-person one-on-ones with, uh, with Mike Rose of Tourmaline and Alex Porbey of Synovus. And, you know, these companies are getting gobs of free cash flow. Like Synovus is trading at a 25% free cash flow yield on strip. So uh, bottom line is, uh, accept the fact that returns are gonna be lower the next few years. There's nothing wrong with owning a little cash. I don't, I don't cash, not bonds. And most important of all, we're moving into the point in the cycle where you need active management. Passive management doesn't cut it. When markets start getting rougher, you may not know what to do. You may not have the time to spend the time to figure out what to do. I have been, had the pleasure of working with Faisal and Dave for years now, and I know that they ask me a ton of questions on a regular basis. They understand what hedge fund gobbledygook like sharp ratios are. Do you want to learn about a sharp ratio? Probably not. That's why I use these guys. <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, listen, we're, we're quickly running out of time. 20 minutes can't do justice of all the conversations that we have and all the information that we tried to get out of your head, Andrew, and into the hands of, uh, of people that can do something with it. But on behalf of the whole team and Faisal, I want to thank you for spending some time with us today. You're very welcome. Pleasure right. to be here. Faisal, um, 
I, I've had a really, as you know, an interesting experience. Uh, I use interestingly or interesting <laughs> specifically um, over the last little while. Most of our regular viewers will know that I've, my mom is in a long-term care facility, right? And she is progressing in her dementia. And so we're moving through this um, process. And you have seen over the last several weeks sort of me going through some different steps and enacting in, in or invoking the, the personal directive or working through that looking at, um, through Alberta Health Services, the various options that my mother has for her stage of care uh, needs, having her diagnosed, looking at private options. It's overwhelming, man. It's, uh, it's, a, it's an amazing and exhaustive process. We're in this business. We see it all the time. And it's just, it's amazing when you, when you have to take it on. And I thought it would be interesting to talk a little bit about that and, yeah. and share some insights. I, I think, you know, for those who haven't had this experience, let's kind of paint the picture of some of the things you had to go through before you even had the opportunity to start exploring. So you, you kind of glazed over the, oh, I had to invoke power of attorney and personal directive. Well, there's a process with that. So you first realize mom cannot act in her own accord. Yeah. And so you had to take a step there. That's step number one. That's right. Then you had to figure out how do you define her as unable to take care of herself or incapacitated. Right. That's step number two. Then you have to make sure you have the documents. Then you have to deal with all the people that have been dealing with her right. when she was considered to be in her own, uh, able, in her own ability. Yeah. So then you're doing that. Then you realize, well, hang on. The kind of care she's getting right now is not enough or has to be changed oh crap, I got to look at other areas. So now you're out there and she's not like in your backyard area. She's in a different city. That's right. So let's, let's like, you know, this is the experience. You kind of went over that pretty quick. Yeah. Um, so now you're at this point where you're going to start hunting all these different facilities to find what's best for mom. Yeah. You and I have talked about this. I, I think we'll use this experience at some point in the future and we can create some content around how to go about doing it because it's been it's been really really fascinating and listen I, I might say some things here um, that sound negative towards uh, Alberta Health Services it's not my intention but it is to educate people about what they're facing and you know one of the things that that, uh, that my brother and I found as we're moving through this um, is there's a very big difference between public and and private right and so you and I talk about the health bucket yep. right and the need to think about what the quality of care and quality of life will be and what it will cost. Now, there's good news and bad news here. When I went into the, uh, the, the private sector, there's lots of options. Mm-hmm. That's the good news. The bad news is there's lots of options. Yeah. Right? And so um, when we started with the, the public system, and we, I'm, I'm doing this concurrently. So taking a look at what the options are on a, on a publicly funded side and on a privately funded side. Uh, the public system, I get it. They, uh, you know, when we de- dealt with a transition coordinator after we had mom's assessment done, they basically said, okay, here's a list. Pick your top three. I- I'm guessing at the number, there must have been two dozen different care facilities. This was in Edmonton where she is right now. Okay. There would be the same, maybe slightly more in Calgary. Right? Here you go. So now I'm going, okay, I've got 48 choices here. Which one do I pick? Yeah. Right? So in the system, just be, expect that there is no process to help uh, you determine based on the care needs of your specific parent or the person you're dealing with, spouse, whatever it might be, which facilities might be tilted towards that versus another. Doesn't it sound like it's an app? 
If I want right. to figure things out, if I want to travel to a country I've never been before, there are applications on my phone that will help me figure out where I want to go, what I want to do, where I want to stay. We don't even have this for our own long-term care facilities in this province. Right. So what, what's the situation? Because there's, of the 48 options in front of you, a bunch of them do not have the type of care facility for someone who has dementia. Right. So that was still an option on your plate. Yeah. So how did I solve that problem? Okay, I don't have time to do primary research on 48 different places, given that mom's care needs is progressing quickly and we've got to make a move. So I engaged a company. There are private services to do this. So expect if, like me, you, you don't have time, that there's a cost to this. Engage a private company to help do an intake assessment of what mom's needs are and then give some recommendations based on their experience, and they've done a lot of the primary research. Okay? So there's, there's some costs there that we don't often talk about. Then we look at, okay, the public system requires you to choose your top three. Now, they may or may not be available to you, and if you go into the public system um, and you don't get your top three, they'll put you somewhere based on urgency, or mom in this case, but she may be moved multiple times through that experience. That was a horrifying thought for me because uh, it's going to be terrifying for mom to leave the place that she's been at for nine years and go to a new place. So the thought of doing that in multiple occasions sounds really horrible. Again, I'm not schlagging on the public system. I get that there are constraints and we need to do this, but expect that. I don't think it's constraints, Dave. I think they're saying, we're going to give you the information. You make the decision yourself. If it's overwhelming to you, sucks to be you. Like, I don't think it's a constraint of, of resources here. No, it's a constraint of resources of, of where... You, so mom could end up hundreds of kilometers away. Yeah from where we need her to be. So, and that would be a resource constraint, okay? What they have is information, no process to help the average person determine what the, what the best choices they are. They don't even give you the list that says, okay, these ones are not even available. Right. They're, they're full. Right. There's a waiting list. Right. Here's the 48 of them. Pick it up. It's kind of like, you know, you got 65 things on the menu. Right. And then you go to the server and you say, I'd like no, to get that. that. And they're like, no, we're out of it. Right. How about this? I'm out of it. Can you not update your goddamn menu? Like right. that's that's the feeling that when you explain this to me, I'm like, yep. man. Yeah. Like how do you so so you're going through this whole um, narrowing down your choices. You went to the public side. You got the help from a professional to kind of do the research for you, narrow things down. This individual gave you a list of how many on both public and private. Well, we narrowed it down to, so we eliminated Edmonton. So what I said is, listen, I would like mom to live in Calgary, given this one constraint that if there is a facility in Edmonton that is far superior to anything we can get in Calgary, I want to know about that one. Yeah. So I got three uh, in Calgary, private, three uh, uh, public. Okay. Okay. So we narrowed the list down. Yeah. And there was some criteria, there was some rationale behind that. Sure. Okay. Um, I'm in the process right now. So to this particular point, I have, um, I have gone and done the research and met with the three private. Okay? Okay. A wide range. We won't go through it. We don't have time to go through it all today. But a wide range of services given where my mom is. And it's a tricky one because we don't quite know if she's far enough along the process to be in a full memory care ward or if we're prior to that. That's, that's been a horrible experience for me wow. trying to figure that out. And I got to tell you, and I won't say which at this particular point, but we think we've narrowed it down to one that has a very dynamic care process that will help us start mom in one place and then escalate the needs um, 
along the way, I think in the, in the most humane way. So it was really interesting, and I expect we'll do some pieces on this yep. over time. How long has this process taken from when you said mom has to leave that facility she's in to now narrowing it down to one? What was that time frame? Like? Probably two months. Okay. And that's because you, are, you do this in your business. Yep. You had professionals helping you. Yep. You have your brother in Edmonton doing some work there. Like you had a team. A team. Correct. You got it in two months. What would it be if you had to do it by yourself? Well, you know, I, I can't imagine actually because if you got bogged down in that first information dump, it could be you could be in there forever, right? It's it's just it it was it was crazy. It's paralyzing. It was paralyzing. Yeah. And on top of that, you're dealing with all of the emotion of uh, you know an aging parent in the problem. So one takeaway from the conversation we just had is when you're when you're going through any type of transition. Build that team around you. That's right. When it's going into a long-term care facility, when it's going into, into you know, uh, when you're starting to, the kids leave the nest and you're going that transition, build a team around you that you need to help you through the next, the next phase of your life, part of your journey. Yeah. And that's part of what we're going to talk about at our upcoming uh, webinar is what team do you need built around you? Right. How do you bulletproof your retirement by having the right team around you, the transition specialist we talk about? We're going to do that on Tuesday, October 19th, 7 p.m., live online. You need to register for this, so go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register. Well, thank you for tuning in for another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. On behalf of my partner, Faisal, and myself, Dave, we look forward to chatting with you next week. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.